We are talking about level up, and we've kind of uh, been using this idea of uh, gaming, video gaming, how you go to the next level, kind of take it so you can get to the highest level. And I confess to you, I didn't do a lot of uh, video gaming, uh, a lot of uh, that kind of stuff. And when I was in uh, Springfield, Missouri as an associate pastor, I will confess that uh, there was a place called Valentino's Pizza that had the best pizza really to this day I've ever had. But they also had a Galaga game in it, right? One of the little arcade games, and I'd go there and give me some little Valentino's pizza, play a little Galaga from during the lunch break and all that. And so when our kids uh, came along, uh, Aaron expressed an interest in, in video games. And uh, that was the time, 1992, whenever Nintendo came out, and then came out Super Nintendo. Now, some of you know Aaron. He's kind of quiet. He's kind of reserved. Uh, he wasn't always like that. And watch this clip from 1992 at Christmas when Aaron got a Super Nintendo. I think he was a little excited yeah, there. <laughs> Super Nintendo. You know, what you didn't hear him say whenever Ashley opened uh, the present about the uh, trampoline thing, I think, he, I think I heard him say to her, hey, we can share that, right? We can share that. <laughs> and uh, I don't think he said anything about sharing when it came to Super Nintendo, right? Well, we also got him a game that uh, Christmas called Zelda. And this is a picture of the old Zelda game. Uh, it's a, it's a kind of a legend of Zelda, and you have all these kingdoms you got to go and conquer, and kind of a medieval thing. And I'd never done video games, but Aaron really liked Zelda. So we, we began during Christmas to play Zelda. And we'd play it for hours and, and try, to, try to beat the game. And I realized early on that I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And uh, Aaron was expecting me to kind of know how to beat Zelda. So after a couple of days, I slipped down to the Eckridge drugstore and went to the magazine rack, and there I found that the magazine had the tricks and the tips on how to beat Zelda. And so I need a little knowledge. I need a little video game and knowledge. Went down and got it and brought it back home and studied it, and Aaron came out to play, and I said, well, and all of a sudden I was an expert, right? I knew everything about Zelda, and in a couple of days we beat the game, uh, and, uh, and uh, then I've never played video games since. But anyway, that was a, a little episode of our life, but we took it to the next level. We got all the way to level whatever it was, level 20 or whatever it was to, to, to win the game. So the thing about level up, as I reflect back over the last 25 years in ministry, it, it, we've watched this ministry take it to another level. Excellence in ministry. Uh, next level worship. I mean, we had this morning, this is a great example of that, just next level worship. I was just over in the auditorium a few minutes ago. Just worship was outstanding. We know that we have taken youth ministry and children's ministry to a whole other level. Our discipleship ministry with small group ministries and Sunday school has gone to another level. And missions, I mean, missions uh, is just, we started out doing missions, $250 a year budget, 
in missions here when I got here 25 years ago. It's amazing. That's what our missions budget was. Last year, we gave away over $2 million to mission causes in Mount Horeb, and, and we're on the way to making a big impact even more this year. So just another level of, of giving. And, and none of this would have been possible without people stepping out in their faith to take their faith to a next level, uh, to take their commitment to serve to a next level, to take their generosity to another level has made all of this possible. So this morning, as we think about level up, how about you? Have you stepped out? Have you stepped up and said, you know, God, I'm going to take my faith to a whole nother level. You know, I've been at this place for a long time, and I want to really step up, and I want to step out. Or are you, this morning, holding back? Are you falling back? Are you kind of fading out? And God has called us to go to a whole nother level. And it takes a step of faith, and God has provided a way. You know, uh, this week I'm going to, then I'm going to take a little time away and I'm going to be going down and trying to fish a little bit uh, in North Inlet. And if you've ever fished in North Inlet down in Georgetown, it's, it's a little treacherous. You've got a lot of narrow little small creeks and you've got a lot of oyster bars and you've got a lot of sandbars and you, you, got a lot of, a lot, a lot of, you can get in a lot of trouble out there and you've got to be careful where you go. Well, a couple years ago I was uh, blessed to go with a really good guide. And with his permission, uh, an app on my phone called Navionics, I've now got the Crookie Trail Everywhere that guide went in those creeks. And it's a little, little, little yellow line in my phone uh, that if I, if I, if I trust it, if I, if, I, if, I, if I launch the boat and trust the line and stay on the line, I can get exactly everywhere that he went and I won't hit a single oyster bar or, 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 or get ground on, land on a, um, a sandbar. At least that's what I'm telling Lynn. Because I got a little bit of knowledge. Now, what I probably got is got enough knowledge to get myself in trouble. So, so I'll be sure to have my phone with me so y'all can come rescue me. But, you know, you got to step out. You know, I could just stay, I could stay at home and look at that on the phone and go, you know, that'd be a great place to go fish, but yeah, it's kind of scary. Yeah, that's a small little creek there, but there's a way. And somebody's already showed me the way, and I got it right here in front of me. But I still got to get in the boat, crank it up, and step out and, <laughs> and, and drive that boat in faith. Look at this right here. You know, look here. Well, friends, you and I have been given a book called the Bible. And the Bible tells us how to take it to another level. We got it in our hands. It's a little scary. And we can stay at home. And we can stay on the sidelines. Or we can say, you know, I want to go to another level. I want to level up. I want to read to you our scripture this morning from 2 Peter. And I invite you to stand as we read from God's word together. Because this is our source to take it to another level. Reading from chapter 1 of 2 Peter. This letter is from Simon Peter, a slave, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to you who share the same precious faith we have. 2,000 years ago, we got a cookie trail, a path. Same faith, right? This faith was given to you because of the justice and fairness of Jesus Christ, our God and Savior. May God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. By his divine power, this is what the word says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. 
We have received all this by coming to what? Know him. The one who called us by himself, by means of his marvelous glory, glory and excellence. And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. In view of all this, make every effort, make every effort to respond to God's promises, supplement your faith with a generous provision of moral excellence and moral excellence with knowledge, with knowledge. The word of God for the people of God. Father God, I pray that today they would be willing to, to take it to another level. And Father God, you have provided everything we need. You've given us the gift of salvation if we trust in Jesus. You've given us the power of the Holy Spirit to give us the very power that we need to step out in faith and go another level. You've given us clear instruction in your word. I pray that you give us the desire today, the willingness today to step out and step out. Give me the words to speak. Give us ears to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. You may be seated. Now, the word knowledge that Peter writes about here is based on a definition of knowledge, not based on academia or book knowledge, but the Greek word here is relational knowledge. It's called espinosis, relational knowledge. You see, my friends, we're going to grow and take our faith to another level if we get to know God more intimately. We get to get to know him as, as a friend. I did a Bible study this week uh, with someone about the friendship of God and that God, and through Jesus Christ, offers us this friendship, this relationship. And he says, Jesus said, I, will, I call you my friends if you obey my commands. There, there's a relationship here possible. You can go to a whole other level, but there's some clear directions you got to take. I can take my fishing, hopefully, on a day this week to a whole other level if I'll follow the right direction. And we have that opportunity before us here today. So I begin to think, how did Jesus grow in his knowledge? How, how did Jesus gain this knowledge? Now, we know that he was fully divine, the Son of God, but he was also fully human. And because, being fully human, he chose to put limitations on himself. You know, was it uh, at sunrise or recently in the last couple, three weeks, we sang that great song, he could have called 10,000 angels. He could have done that at the cross, but he chose not to. He, he chose to put limitations on himself, including growing. And so how did Jesus grow in knowledge? You know, we have most of his life in the Gospels is three years. From the time he began his ministry at the age of 30 to he was crucified, resurrected, and ascended at age 33. So what about all those other years of growing? How, was, how did God use that time to prepare Jesus to grow? I want to pick up the story when he was 12. And, and this is a story where his parents had lost him. Remember, Jesus had gotten lost, and moms, you, you would be frantic. Dads would be going like, you know, I thought you had him. I don't know. You know, you know. So he's been missing for three days, right? Pick up the reading in Luke chapter 2, verse 46. Three days later, Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple, sitting among the religious teachers. He's 12. 
listening to them and asking questions. You want to know how you grow? You listen to the voice of God, to the Spirit of God, and you ask questions. You know, God can handle your questions. God can handle your doubts. Just ask some questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere. And as a 12-year-old would say, well, why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, and his mother stored all these things in her heart. And then verse 52. For the next 18 years, this is all we got. From 18 years to 12 years old to the age of 30, this is what we got. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. Next level. How did he do that? I think that we can discern from his life and what he did once he launched his ministry and how he launched his ministry, what he was doing in those 30 years prior. I'm going to suggest three things to you that will help you grow in wisdom, stature, and favor so that we can take it to the next level. First of all, I think that Jesus grew in his understanding of Scripture, that he knew the Scriptures. And I don't think he was just programmed to know the Scriptures. I think he, he spent time learning the Scriptures reading the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures. I'm guessing by the age of 30 that Jesus had probably memorized the entire Old Testament, that he knew it in his head. And we see evidence of that it, it just immediately when he, uh, when he begins his ministry, he, the, the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus at his baptism. Uh, the, the word from heaven comes, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And then he goes into the wilderness for 40 days of temptation. And we know that in the midst of the temptation, how did he respond to the, to, to the serpent? He responded with scripture. He quoted scripture to the evil one and said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word, every word, not some of the words, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. We see throughout his ministry, he used scripture. From the cross, he spoke scripture, or Psalm 22, he quoted from the cross. Just before his ascension, after his crucifixion and resurrection, before he ascended into heaven, it says in the scriptures, and I preached on this on Easter in Luke 24, that Jesus took the scriptures and opened them up to them. He explained the scriptures from, from Moses all the way through the prophets. See, he was grounded in scripture. You want to go next level? You got to get into the word of God. You got to read the word of God. And I'll talk more about that in a minute. A second thing I think that Jesus did, well, let me just say this. How did he grow in wisdom? You know, wisdom is, is one of those things. That, everybody wants some wisdom, right? Boy, I need some more wisdom. You know what wisdom is? Wisdom is putting into practice what you already know. When you, when you know the Word of God, you, you apply it. And what gave Jesus wisdom, he applied the Word of God. What he knew, what he learned, he put into action. We know a lot of stuff, but we don't sometimes act on what we know. And we go with our feelings, and that gets us in trouble. But when we act on what we know from Scripture, it brings wisdom. I think a second thing that Jesus did was solitude. That he, even here in verse 12, he says, you, you, you knew I had to be in my father's house. You, know, you knew, you, you knew my, the father and I were going to hang out together. And we see throughout his ministry, uh, he, he would get away for time alone with his father. That just didn't begin in those final three years. I believe that had been going on for a long time. 
He needed time alone with his heavenly father. And then it says he grew in favor with God and men. How did Jesus grow in favor? You know, the, the word favor there is the Greek word keros, which means grace. Jesus gained favor because he graced people. He graced them. He just, he just showed grace to people. And, and, and he did that through serving people. Remember, one of the most profound things that Jesus said when he began his ministry, whenever he began to do all these great things, and they wanted to elevate him to this place of, uh, of prominence and popularity, he said, well, I came not to be served, but to serve. I came to grace you. I came to make a difference. I didn't come to be all of this. I came to get on my knees and take a towel and a basin and wash your feet. I've come to grace you, to serve you. So I think in doing those three things, Jesus grew in his understanding of wisdom and stature and favor. So how do you and I grow in knowledge? How can we grow enough to take it to another level? Now, I had to go down to Eckerd's and get a magazine on how to take Zelda to another level. I've got a little app on my phone that maybe, maybe might take my fishing to another level. But how can you and I grow in our knowledge of God? I want to say several things to you. First of all, it's going to require a humble heart. You can't grow if you don't know you've got to grow. You can't grow if you think you know everything. And there's sometimes we think we know everything. Well, you know, I've been doing this Christian thing a long time. I got it down. I don't think so. There, none of the, nobody in this room is a complete product. Nobody in this room has arrived yet, including yours truly. I am a work in progress, and so are you. So we got to have a humble heart. we got to admit that we need salvation, first of all. It starts there. i got to admit that I need a Savior. I cannot save myself. I cannot redeem myself. I cannot earn myself. I need salvation. i got to accept Jesus into my heart. This is very simple stuff. Accept Jesus into my heart. And third, thirdly, I've got to acknowledge that I need to learn. You know, I was talking to Aaron about the video game and talking about that. He says, you know, Dad, one of the most important things is we've got to learn to learn. We've we got to develop a, a life skill of learning. You, you never stop learning. And that's where Christians hit the wall. We think we know everything, and we don't know hardly anything. We've got to keep learning and keep growing. You know, Aaron was uh, that kid that just did really well in school, Right? He, would, he would, didn't have to study much, and he, so he went to PC and majored in physics. And then he went to Clemson and got a degree in environmental engineering, and uh, he's got a great job. But uh, because he likes to learn, because he developed a, a, a desire to learn, uh, he, he called me a couple weeks ago and said, Dad, guess what I'm going to do? I said, what? He said, I'm going to go back to school. I said, what are you going to go to school for? He said, I'm going I'm to get a degree in nuclear engineering. I said, seriously? A degree in nuclear? What, what in the world? I said, I don't know, Dad. You know, this environmental stuff may phase out one day, and I'll be able to do nuclear engineering. You know, it, it's, but it's a, it's a desire to keep growing, and, and, and a desire to keep learning it makes, makes, our, makes us more rounded as a people. And so Scripture is all about us learning and growing and becoming that person God wants to be. And, and, there, and why is it hard? Paul said it this way in 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. Satan who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. Now, have you seen more evidence in today than ever that Satan has blinded the minds? I mean, what are people thinking? You know? I mean, you see some decisions, and people are like, what, what, what in the world? 
Even within the church, people, what in the world are you thinking? I mean, it's clear. The, the Word of God is clear, but people just, what are you thinking? Because their minds have been blinded. It goes on to say, they are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. See, the evil one wants you to stop learning. He wants you to stop learning. He wants you to stop growing. He wants your minds to become dull. He wants you to be full of pride and go, you know, I got this. I got this Christian thing. This is a piece of cake. How many of you know that's not true? Just when you think you got it, <laughs> you're going off the cliff, right? You know, it's an ongoing process to the very end of our lives on the planet here. We got to acknowledge that. I love what uh, Jeremiah says, chapter 9. It says, The Lord says, The wise should not boast of their wisdom, nor the strong of their strength, nor the rich of their wealth. If anyone wants to boast, they should boast that they know and understand me. You want to boast about something? Boast about what you know about God and testify to what you know about God. You know, Pastor Bill is over in the auditorium preaching today and uh, uh, called a little audible and sent him over there. And uh, I came over here and uh, he's a little nervous about going over there. He's, he's going to give them a test today on how much they know on humility, right? And so I, had, I met a guy out there in the hallway and said, man, I got a 10 out of 10 on, on, on Pastor Bill's uh, test on, on humility. I said, well, you just failed it. Because if you got to tell me that you made 10 out of 10, you probably are very humble. You, know? you might know something, but you're not living it, right? Brag on what you know about God. Because my love is constant, he says. These are the things that please me. So you got to admit, accept, acknowledge, and you got to abide. Folks, one of the most important things about us in learning and growing and becoming the next level Christian is abiding with God. You know, Jesus said, you got to abide with me. Just like you, you, if you want to produce fruit, you got to be connected to the vine and the vine to the branches. you gotta, you got to abide. And again, the scriptures say here in, in Peter is God has given us everything we need. All we got to do is stay connected to him. Stay connected. Not just in worship. I'm talking about staying connected on Sunday afternoon and Sunday night and Monday morning and Monday middle of the day and Monday night and all day Tuesday and all day Wednesday and staying connected, staying abiding and I've given you everything you need. Everything you need. You know how it is whenever you mistakenly cut that, cut that, uh, you're pruning your, your beautiful flowers and you mistakenly cut one of their roses off and it wasn't ready yet and you try to stick it back in the dirt. You know, it may look good for a couple hours. That sun is, it starts to wilt and it starts, because it's not connected anymore. It's not abiding anymore. If we want to grow to the next level, we've got to stay abiding with God. And then from Humble hearts, we need to move to hungry hearts. Paul said it this way in Philippians 3.8, Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Everything else is worthless compared with the infinite value of knowing Jesus Christ as my Lord. For his sake I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ. I could gain Christ. Next level stuff. I want to I gain Christ. And then Jesus said in Matthew 6, 33, Seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. Everything you need. You know, when it comes to hungry hearts, this is more about being in a relationship with God than it is being, having a ritual, okay? More re relational more than ritual. 
See, sometimes we think that growing in God is coming to church and being, being involved in rituals. I love traditional worship, and I love the rituals of traditional worship, but that's just not where I grow. I get blessed here. I get inspired here. I get encouraged here. But when I want to grow, I've got to be in a relationship with God. It's got to be a 24-7 relationship. This inspires me to, to keep growing. This inspires me to keep going. But, but it's about the relationship, not the ritual. That's where we come to know. So hungry hearts, humble hearts, and then we've got to develop some holy habits. Holy habits. I believe that Jesus had holy habits. He had things that he did over and over again. What is a habit? Habits are powerful rhythms that constitute our character and determine what kind of people we are, our habits. And everybody in this room here today has got habits. You got some good habits and got some bad habits. And those habits define us. And we need some holy habits that will help us take it to the next level. Make every effort to respond, verse 6 says, or verse 5, to God's promises. Every effort. Now, I think it's safe to say that one of the simplest things I'll say to you this morning is you will not get close to God in your spare time. You will not get close to God in your spare time. You've got to give God your full time. Pray, the Bible says, pray without ceasing. To walk with God. So some holy habits. I'm going I'm to suggest that we do several things, and some of these are obvious, but we all need a daily time, a quiet time with God, a time we set aside to be with God, or we read God's Word. Reading God's Word is most, one of the most important things you and I can do. Again, knowing the Scriptures. Jesus knew the Scriptures. We've got to know the Scriptures. The Barna Group just did a, it's a research organization, just, just released a, a study that the impact of reading the Bible has on people. Their study revealed that six out of ten adults who read the Bible say that it has transformed their life. Six out of ten that read the Bible say it has transformed their life. And one of the things, when they describe a Bible user, get this. These people that read the Bible, six out of ten, that say it transformed their life, read the Bible outside of church three to four times a year. They read the Bible three to four times a year, and six out of ten said it transformed their lives. Now, what, what if we took that to the next level? And what if we read the Bible three or four times a month? Let's take it to another level and say we read the Bible three or four times a week. And then let's take it to another level and say, what if I read the Bible three or four times a day? If just reading the Bible three or four times a year can transform my life, what if I got real serious about it? I don't know about you, but I get all kinds of texts from people in the church who send me scripture, and I read every day two or three scriptures. Then I get all kinds of emails with the devotions in them, and I read the scriptures. Then I have some other scriptures that I'm reading them, I have studied. You know, just reading the scriptures. And, and you know, that's, it's easy today with, with technology. You, you can have scriptures right there, right there, all the time. Right there, right there, too. You know. And then you put them in your heart and put them in your head. So reading the scriptures. You know, so I have a question this morning. Are you feasting on the word of God? Or are you fasting from the Word of God? I'm going to take a little break from the Word of God. not going to go well for you, I'm telling you. Don't, you need to feast, not fast, from the Word of God. So reading the Word of God, quiet time, and then this goes without saying, we've we got to have better prayer time, meditating time, marinating time on the Word of God. When you pray, you pray the Scriptures. 
I love what Romans 12, 2 says. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Changing the way you think. In your mind. Read the scriptures, pray about it, meditate on it, marinate on it. It'll change the way you think. It'll change your character. It'll change who you are. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. My friends, when we focus on the right things, distractions fall away. When we focus on the right things, distractions fall away. Now, I'm not a real big Tiger Woods fan. You know, I I admire his golf, and it's been really impressive how he's come back from all these injuries uh, and, 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 and won the Masters. And, you know, he's certainly an incredible golfer. But one of the things that has made Tiger Woods so good through the years, even coming out of these injuries and now winning again, is his ability to concentrate, his ability to focus. And one reason he can focus like that, and I, I, if he, I had some younger families in here at, at 9 o'clock, so be careful, dads, in, in teaching your kids these tricks uh, in baseball or whatever. But Tiger's Woods' uh, dad was Special Forces, and he would get the Special Forces uh, soldiers to train Tiger how to concentrate. And, you know, these special forces guys that can stand in the water up to here, you know, freezing water for three, four, five, six hours, how do they do that? Well, they do that by, by hypnotizing themselves to focus on something. And so Tiger learned at the age of 12 how to focus. And, and so but if you watch him when he plays golf, you've got to have triggers. So Tiger Woods' trigger, he wrote in his book, is that he squeezes his ear. See, Tiger Woods squeezes his ear, he's focusing. He's going to, you know, he's, he acts like he's really unfriendly whenever he's walking around the golf course, but he's dialed in. He's dialed in. And if Tiger Woods can do that playing golf, guess what? The God who made us can get us to dial in our focus on the Word of God. That God wants us to be that focused on what's really important, on what's going to last for eternity. Because you and I get, I mean, I'm the worst. I get distracted all the time. You know, I'm all over here and I'm over here and over here. But, 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 but to know God means I've got to dial it in. And i got to begin to meditate and marinate in my head on the Word of God and to get focused on those things. A worship is another important part. Wisdom is another important part. And again, wisdom is application of biblical truth. Wisdom is a habit. I believe that, that wisdom is a habit. It is applying biblical truth. It's applying what we know about God. We can know all kinds of things about the Bible. If we don't apply them, what good does it do? Jesus said, a man who hears my words and puts them into practice, puts them into practice, is like the wise man who built his house on a rock. And when the winds came and the rains came and the floods came, it didn't fall because it was built on a rock. Now, he, is, he didn't say anybody who hears my words. He says, who may hears my words and puts them into practice? Application. You've got to put the word of God into application. That's wisdom. And finally, there's one I want to talk to you about, something I talked to my men's prayer breakers about on Friday morning. And that is something that we can make a holy habit. And this is sanctification. Now, I could probably spend a whole sermon on sanctification because it's a word that scares us in the church. What is sanctification? It's a Wesleyan uh, principle that John Wesley really emphasized, the, the Wesleyan movement. Very simply, sanctification means to be set apart for a sacred purpose. It is to, it's to ask God to use me for a sacred purpose. It is to take my faith to another level. The Greek word means to be holy, to be dedicated to God. That's another level. Because we dedicate a little bit of our life to God, but if we can learn to dedicate all of our life to God, 
we can see God do something a whole other level. See, sanctification is a journey. It's something that we seek. God, I want to be more like Jesus. Father, how can I be more like Jesus? I want you to, I want you to set me apart for a purpose. I want to hear those words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Because you, 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 you sought to be the very best you can be. Now, so Wesley would argue that sanctification leads to perfection. Perfection. It's like uh, the person who thought they got the score perfect on humility. They didn't because they weren't humble enough to keep that to themselves. If you reach that place of perfect love, which is what Wesley believed, perfect love with God, that you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you love your neighbor as yourself perfectly, you don't tell anybody because then you're no longer perfect, right? So, you know, some of you are going, hey, you know, I got this perfect thing down, you know. Then, you, then you've lost it, right? But it's, it's desiring to be perfect in your walk with God and your love for others. And here's, here's where we mess up on this. You see, we think that to be perfect means to be sinless. You and I are going to battle sin for the rest of our life. But to, to move towards sanctification means I want to sin less. And this is where we mess up as Methodists. We say, you know, Pastor, you know, you know, I'm just a sinner. And I just struggle with sin. You know, I got this problem I struggle with. I'm just a sinner. Well, sanctification means I'm going to strive to, to, to take that seriously. I am going to begin to sin less in my life. Can we make a commitment to do that? That I want to strive, Lord, with your help to sin less. Not just pass it off, make an excuse, compromise, just say, well, rationalize, I'm just a sinner. Sanctification means I sin less. I love this next quote. I love the next slide. You see, sanctification means sins becomes your permanent enemy and no longer your secret lover. And that's a, that'll, that'll, that'll step on your toes right there, right? Sin becomes your permanent enemy and no longer your secret lover. I had somebody come to me after sharing that quote. Say, you got a few minutes? And they came and shared with me something they really struggled with, a secret thing that nobody else knew about. And they told me about it. I said, I don't want to do that anymore. I want to beat that. I said, well, you made the first step by coming and telling somebody else about it. It's no longer a secret. And I'm going to be praying for you that together. I said, there's, I'm going to suggest you go talk to a couple other people about that. Because it's no longer a secret. doesn't mean you're not going to do it again, but now you just no longer going to be something you keep a secret lover. You've let it out. And we begin to move toward a place of sanctification where God wants to do something great in our life. Now, perfect love for God and perfect love for others always is both vertical and horizontal. And it leads to this verse of helping hearts. Part of the end of this chapter here, 2 Peter, he says this. The more you grow like this, put it up there, helping hearts, the more you grow like this, the more productive, one more, one more. I'm going too fast. Isn't it amazing? I'm going too fast. The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you'll be in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You want to be more productive? You want to be more useful for the kingdom? You got to grow. You got to grow in your faith and your walk. He goes on to say, but those who fail to develop in this way are short-sighted or blind, 
forgetting that they had been cleansed from their old sins. John Wesley said it this way, Give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God, and I care not whether they be clergymen or laymen, they alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven upon the earth. Does Mount Horeb want to shake the gates of hell? Give me 100 people who will get serious about growing in their faith, growing in their knowledge of God. And we can shake the gates of hell. Be they clergyman or layman. Will you take seriously the call to take it to the next level? To allow God to sanctify your heart with the Holy Spirit. To cleanse and change you. One of the best stories I've ever heard on perfect love, how to love perfectly, was told by Dr. Robert Coleman. He was my professor of evangelism at Asbury Seminary. Dr. Coleman was working out in the garden on a hot day, sweat pouring off of him. And his young son saw through the window his dad out there sweating in the garden and decided to bring his dad a glass of water. So he pulled a stool up next to the sink, reached over into the sink and pulled out a, pulled out a dirty glass. <laughs> and then he put some lukewarm water in that dirty glass. And he carried it out to his dad. And Dr. Coleman said, that glass may have been dirty and that water might have been warm, but it brought, was brought to me in perfect love. You see, God just wants us to step out and let him use us. To have a perfect love for God and a perfect love for our neighbor doesn't mean that we've reached total perfection in everything that we struggle with. But will you step out and say, God, I'm going to take it to the next level. I want to make an impact in this world.